0: Turn with me to, in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to finish the story that we began two weeks ago last week. Brother Mario was here, nice and sedate and calm and religious Brother Mario. And uh, praise God. He's doing well, I got it, because he's right where Matthew's going over right now. And I got an email from, email from him last night. I texted him earlier in the day to make sure he was okay, and he responded last night. Telling what a blessing it was to be here last week and to to be a part of, of all that you know that God's doing here. And so uh, um, we count it a privilege to have been connected with them. Praise the Lord. What we've been talking about really for quite a while now is growing up. And we're using Ephesians 4. I've forgotten about Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. <clears throat> but what we've been talking about especially, I think it's verse 15, that it says that we're no longer to be children. and describes children as people that are tossed to and fro and in that context carried about by every wind of doctrine but then we went over and looked in James chapter 1 and he talks about the same principle and he says that we are to ask of God and God gives he'll answer you if you ask him but you must ask in faith nothing doubting and he says when we doubt we're like the wind dripped by the sea driven by the wind and it's the same example. Of, and he says, being, an unstable, being a, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And we talked about the fact that part of the, one of the signs of our need to grow up is when circumstances of life move us off of what God says. So we read our Bible, we study our Bible, we maybe listen to a CD or watch a DVD or we come to church and we hear something and we see something and we say, I know that's the truth and we, we leave here or you leave your place of devotions with a, with a commitment, that's what I'm going to be and that's what I'm going to do and then it seems like all hell breaks loose against you. Ever, ever have one of those days or weeks or months or years where it seems like all of heaven, all of hell has been assigned to knock you off your horse? And that's exactly what it's designed to do. It's designed to get you to quit and designed to get you to stop trusting in what God says and start relying upon your own understanding. Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge Him. That means know Him and He will direct your path. So we've been talking about the fact that what... Our life has to be based on, and that doesn't just mean a basic commitment, our everyday life. The walking through of your life has to be based on God's Word, God's promise to you. His promise, first of all, that if you put your trust in Christ, that you are saved, you are a child of God. My my wife and I talked about this yesterday morning we get up. I get up some mornings, I don't feel saved. But the Bible doesn't say anything about how I feel It says, if I've called upon the name of the Lord and I put my trust in Him, then I am saved. I am a child of the living God. I don't wake up feeling like a child of God many mornings. And, and so, But what I'll do is I'll start, I'll talk to myself. I'll talk to God. i say, thank you this is for what you've done for me. Thank you that you took me from where I was and you, you rescued me and you saved me. Thank you that you put your spirit into me. But Jesus went to the cross and my sins are forgiven. Thank you that therefore I've been made a child of the living God. I'm a child of the God, of the creator of the universe. By the time I finish, I'm feeling pretty good. So I changed how I felt by what I said. And what I said wasn't just positive thinking. My words were agreeing with what God has said about me. So we're talking about, first of all, it's your job to find out what God says about you and what God has promised you. And then the next, the next place of growth is we have to begin to act on that by standing on that word. And you do that by speaking that word over your life and over those circumstances. And you do that by acting as if that word is true. And we saw that in in Genesis, we saw how, how the very first man and that very first woman, Satan came and immediately, what did he do? He came to challenge the word that God had spoken to them so that they would begin to doubt that word. And the moment she began to doubt that word and open that word of doubt, open that door of doubt, to to the word of God that had been spoken to her, then we saw Satan move into that slight opening, and as he moved into that opening he became very bold and challenged directly God's word. Then we saw he even did that with Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus goes into the wilderness, we see Satan came to challenge him and we watched the difference between how, how Eve handled that challenge and how Jesus handled that challenge. Eve tried to explain the word to what God had said to the devil. He tried, she tried to defend God's word. God didn't tell her to defend or explain anything to the devil. He just said, obey it. But we saw Jesus faced with that exact same temptation and all he did... The Son of God, who knew infinitely more than Eve did, he just stood there and said, It is written. He just quoted God's Word, what God had said back to the devil that was tempting him. And that's what we need to do to the circumstances because they've come against you to take to steal God's Word, your commitment to God's Word, out of your heart. And so that's what we've been looking at. We've looked at examples, and we lo- saw the children of Israel and how God had given His word to them that He was going to had made a land that He promised to them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And we saw how God delivered them and supernaturally brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness, brought them to the doorway of the land that He promised to them. And when they went in and they checked out, they verified with their senses what God had said with His word. They opened that same door that Eve opened up. And they began to question and doubt what God said. And when they questioned and doubt what God said, they ended up relying upon their own understanding and not trusting in what God said. And they, were, they ended up losing the very destiny that God had planned for them. And then last week, we turned to this story. And we see a very different example. So we'll just begin to read through here. At this point in his life, David is still just a very young man. And we're going to start and read right through it. Now, the Philistines gathered their army together to battle, which were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. Judah is part of the land that God promised Israel, part of that same promise we looked at with the children of Israel. And the Philistines are enemies that were not fully driven out when they went in. They didn't fully do what God told them to do. And so there were still enemies that had not been defeated. Verse 2, And so we've got on one side, you've got over here, the Philistine army... That God had told them to defeat, and over here you've got on the other side of the valley you have lined up the army of Israel, the people that God has to whom God has given this land, and they're lined up in what's called battle array, which is like which is the the, the form of, of of they were all basically with their arms their 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 weapons pointed at each other on either side of this big valley, and here's what happened. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines and his name was Goliath. He was from Gath. That's a town in Philistia. And his height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine feet. It's almost ten feet tall. And he had, and this is very important for what we're going to see in a minute, he had a bronze helmet on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail or it's overlapping metal. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. My Bible says it's about 125 pounds. So the weight of his armor that he had on was about 125 pounds. And he had a bronze armor on, bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was, uh, was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, which is about 15 pounds. So just the, the point... The metal point on his spear weighed 15 pounds. Um, Verse 8, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? So we looked last time, we're looking at how Goliath, he's trying to cast or formulate how the Israelite army is to see this situation. So again, what the Bible is telling us is you have the army of the Philistines on one side, you have the army of Israel on the other side, and this giant comes out, and with his mouth he is trying to tell the trained soldiers of God what the situation is. He's describing to them the situation... I remember when I was a, a new lawyer, the very first trial I ever handled was defending a woman who had been charged with uh, going through a, a, st- a school bus that had stopped. And it was uh, we represented uh, back then, uh, one of the, the automobile associations had one of their benefits, that if you had a minor offense, that you could, they would provide a, a lawyer for you. And that was one of my first jobs. And so I showed up, interviewed this lady, and I got her story, and she told me which side of the street she was coming down and, and exactly what the, which side the school bus was on and described it for me in detail. And I sat there as the police officer that had sighted her stood up and testified, and everything was exactly the opposite. The bus was on the opposite side of the street. She was coming from another direction. I mean, the only, I mean it was the right, same time of day, but I mean, I'm th- in my mind, is, what do I do with this? It's like it's a different story. And, uh, and, and so and the point is that you can have two people looking at the same thing, and see totally different things. They've done studies with Air Force pilots. Stood them out on the tarmac, which is the part of the, the, the right next to the runway, and they've shot, they've had planes go down the the, the runway, and, and they've had them estimate. This, these are men that fly these things. Estimate how fast you think that was going, and the range of their opinion was amazingly varied. So, how you see something will determine what you do with it. And what you hear about that situation will determine how you see it. We've talked before that when an emergency comes up or you get an evil report, whether it's a doctor's report or it may be something about your job or something comes and threatens you, all you have is information at this point. But what your mind tries to do is project what that's going to mean. And that image that's being formed in your mind will determine what you do in that situation. So here we have exactly that same situation. We have an army over here that's trying to destroy the army that belongs to God. God gave them this land. He didn't give the Philistine this land. He gave the Israelites this land. And now we have a giant coming out and he is with his... Now listen carefully. With his mouth, he's speaking words to the soldiers, trained soldiers of Israel, to tell them what's going to happen. And what they do with those words will determine how they handle the situation. So we're seeing here the giant trying to describe what the situation is. We're going to see the army of Israel listen to the words of that giant. And because they listen to the words of that giant... What the giants said was going to happen, began to happen. But then we're going to see a young boy, not a soldier, not trained for battle, not, not, not trained in military skills, not even big enough yet to wear armor for battle. We're going to see him come out into this situation. And when he sees this situation, he's going to size it up very differently. And he's going to handle it very differently. Why? Because of what he knows about his God. And that's what we're after. And that's what we began to look at last time. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring it around because many of you right now have giants in your own life. And these giants are talking to you. And they're telling you that what God's Word says doesn't work for you. They're telling you that yes, other people tried that and it didn't work for them. Why do you think it will work for you? Those giants are are talking to you. And what you do with their words of that giant, those giants talking to you will determine whether you're victorious or whether that giant's victorious in your life. So what about God? He's already determined from His side what the answer is. But it's whether you agree with Him or you agree with the giant. And that's what we're about this morning we'll read down through the first part because we've already, already done this before. Okay, verse 8. Then he, that's the giant, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, notice, he's talking to them, and said to them, why have you come out to line up in battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? So he's trying to define for them how he sees them. Your servants of a man named Saul who was himself almost seven feet tall. This is who you are. And he's basically saying, this is hopeless. Because Saul is your leader, you're his servants, and I am the leader of the Philistines, and I'm ten feet tall. And he's going to come out and taunt them. There may be things in your life that are taunting you right now. Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. Now he's saying this with a cocky tone of voice because he's not expecting a fair fight. He's absolutely confident that he can beat anybody on the Philistine side because he's basing things on what his five senses tell him. There's nobody over there bigger than me. Look at verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And listen, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words, it is so important what you listen to. There are many voices out there. John the Apostle says, and none of them are without significance. That means whether they're true or not, and you listen to them, they'll have a significance to you. So if you spend your day listening to CNN and MSN and every other SN or NN, I don't care whether it's Fox News or whatever it is, if all you're doing is listening to the world's interpretation of the facts, then you will become like Saul and all of Israel and shrink back when you see God's Word. What you, Because faith comes by what? Hearing. And you will develop faith in whatever you're listening to. You choose what your faith is in by what you're listening to. You choose that. I defy the armies of Israel this day. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David, scene shifts, was a son of the Ephraimite, of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced years in the days of Saul. And three of the oldest sons of Jesse had gone down to Saul to battle. I'm going to summarize some of this because we've already talked about it. So his three oldest brothers are in the army, and his dad sends him down periodically with a care package, some food for, the boy, for his boys, and some, some bread and some cheese for the commanders. And so he comes down this day, and when he comes down, he hears, he arrives. Oh, by the way, it says in here that, that the, the Goliath came out twice a day, morning and night. So every day, this army is sitting over here, standing over here. They come out in the morning, dressed for battle, and Goliath comes out and basically tells them they can't win. They spend the day there. They go back but before they leave, Goliath comes back out and basically says the same things. I defy the armies of Israel, whose Saul is your commander. They've listened to these words 80 times, twice a day for 40 days. And they have developed faith in Goliath. We know that because they're acting on what Goliath says. Now, this young boy arrives and he does not look at this scene. Same facts. Same Philistine army. Same Israel army. Same giant. Same Saul. Same valley. Same facts. But they have a different meaning to him because he sees these facts through a differing image of who he is and who's involved. How do you see your giants? And how do you see your God? David comes out and he hears... Verse 23 says, As he talked to them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, came up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David hears them. And notice David's reaction. And when the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. So now after... 40 days after 80 times of hearing this message, they flee as soon as they see the giant. So the men of Israel said, "If you see this man has come up? They're trying to get David... Now listen carefully, because we're going to see what happens, the dynamics here. They're trying to get David into their fear. People that are afraid and are in unbelief will tr- become your biggest threat. Because they're often, quote-unquote, believers, because they're afraid, they want to include you in their fear, because if you talk differently, and you act differently, it's like shining a mirror on their unbelief. Because their thinking is, how can we stand against a giant? And when all of them agree about that, they feel better about themselves. But when a young kid shows up, and he doesn't react the same way, it puts them under conviction. And instead of facing the conviction and repenting of their unbelief, they try to turn on David. So they're going to try to draw him in to their fear. Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he, he's come up to defy Israel. See, they're believing us now. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and will give his father exemption from taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the man who stood with him and says, What you say will be done for the man that kills this Philistine? He's thinking in terms of opportunity. He's saying, What you say happens to the man that kills this guy? Tell me this again. It's got his interest. who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel. He sees this as a reproach over Israel. And look at this. This is where we ended last time. Who is... See, Israelites army over... Soldiers, professional soldiers in in armor over here. Philistines over here. Giants standing out here saying the same threats. I defy the army of Israel. And now you've got this kid looking out here and says, that's what you're afraid of? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defies the army of God? Now, first of all, when Goliath came out here, he told them that they were the army of Saul. Talking about identity here. Your identity is so crucial to your confidence. Who are you belong to and who are you from? The little word, I love little words in the Bible. We read over them so quickly and they have such power. The word of is a possessive pronoun which means belongs to. And You've seen me do this before. This is my pen. It's a fountain. I like fountain pens. A number of years ago for my birthday, my wife bought me a fountain. Not a fan, It's not a Mont Blanc, but it's my pen. And in the office, they know this is my pen. You understand? It's my... Lots of pens in the office. And in my... But this is... My pen. In other words, it belongs to Pastor John. I therefore I know where it is. I don't just leave it lying around. It's either in my pocket, being used on my desk, or on my dresser at home. I take care of it because it belongs to me and has meaning to me. Goliath says, The one you belong to is Saul. David stands over here and says, Who is he to defy defy the army that belongs to God? His image of what's going on here is totally different. Now, turn with me. Hold, keep something here because we'll come back. Turn with me to Genesis 17. I want to show you because what we're talking about here is, ta- is taking God what God has said about a situation or what God has said about you and standing on that and trusting in that regardless of what the circumstances are or how they change. And Genesis 17 is part of the process by which God entered into a covenant with Abraham, then Abram. We'll start in verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, that's Abram, and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now let's stop a second. Who are the generations after Abraham? Well, part of those generations is the army of Israel that's over here cowering in fear at the threat of that giant. Notice His promise here. This is God's Word to everlasting covenant, look at this, to be God to you and your descendants after you. God had promised Abraham and all of his descendants as part of this covenant that he belonged to them and they belonged to God. To be God to them did not just mean to lord it over to them, it meant to be responsible for them to provide for them and to protect them it was out of this understanding that David wrote Psalm 91 tremendous psalm of deliverance and of protection He wrote Psalm 91. He didn't write these psalms sitting in a theological library of a theological seminary. He wrote them out in the wilderness out of experiences that he had as he came to know the God that he was in covenant with through Abraham. David knew who he was, not in his own strength, but he knew who the God that had made a covenant with Abraham was and he was one of the descendants that was a beneficiary of this covenant. God said to Abraham, verse 9, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant between you and me. So that's the covenant, but notice what goes on and says, Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it be, shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now go back to Samuel, 1 Samuel 17. So now you understand, when David says he's defying the army that belongs to God, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's remembering these verses, this promise God made. He said, this man and this nation has no covenant with God the way we do because they don't have the mark of that covenant because they're not bearing the mark of the circumcision. So who is he compared to the God that we're in covenant with? So my question to you today is how do you look at that giant or giants in your life today? Are you trying to fight that giant on equal terms in your own strength and what you know? It may be that you're involving doctors, and there's, that's wonderful. You should involve them. But your trust shouldn't be in the doctors. <clears throat> your trust should be in the God that you're in covenant with. Amen. We don't have time to go in there. If you go into Galatians, you'll see in Galatians chapter 3, we're part of that same covenant. You're part of that same covenant. In fact, it's a better covenant on better terms because you're His child. Don't mess with my kids. And don't mess with my grandkids. Why? Because they're ours. Just like my pen. (laughs) Except my kids and grandkids are flesh and blood. And that's David's perspective on what's going on here. So he's looking at the same giants that all the army was looking at and says, that's it? Because he's not comparing... Goliath to Saul whom he could see he's comparing Goliath to the God that they're in covenant with and he's saying that's what you're afraid of don't you realize he's defying the God who belongs to Israel he's the one that should be afraid now let's watch what happens verse 28, his liab, his oldest brother, heard what was spoken to the men and his anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? In other words, you're causing trouble. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? In this way, Go back and mind your own business is what he's telling him. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you've come down to see the battle. Isn't it interesting because back when Samuel anoints David. God says about says something about Sam that David's heart. He said, I don't look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart of the boy. And his brother, because there's something wrong in his heart, is judging his little brother's heart, the that God has already said was after Him. See, when you get out of faith and you get into the realm of relying on your senses, you can get into all kinds of trouble. You can start believing things and letting things in your heart that you'd never dream you'd let in and you won't realize it because you start justifying what you believe believe and what you see in order to not have to confront your unbelief. See, walking by faith is not an option. It's not just an extra benefit. The Bible says the just, those who have been made right in God's eyes, walk by faith. Not have one experience, but we live our life. But we're growing in it. Understand this. This is a process of growth. It's being committed to this process to grow and mature and trusting in God's Word and not in what people tell me, not in my senses, and certainly not in what the giants tell me. So what happens, of course, is you know, so his brothers turn against him, and um, then David says, uh, verse thirty-two. Then David said to Saul, "Let no man's heart fail because of him. That's Goliath. For your servant will go and fight this Philistine." And Saul said to David, "You're not able to go because Saul's also looking at him as this little kid who's untrained. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and this man was of war from his youth." So Saul's looking again at what he can see. And he said, David, you can't go against this guy. I mean, he's a giant. And he's been trained for battle and war. Even if he was your size, it's no equal fight because he's been trained and you haven't been trained. But not only that, look at his size, look at his armor, look at his training. It's just, you know, he's telling the Saul. Now, so he's hearing it from his brothers. And now he's hearing it from the king. Come on, it's a nice sentiment. Appreciate it, you know, but stay in your place. Because we see who you really are, but see, when you've seen God, you can't stand your place. <laughs> and David said to Saul in verse thirty-four, "Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion and bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear." And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Notice what he's saying. He's speaking out that covenant. He's not saying, look, just because I'm so full of vim and vigor. He's saying, because I've got a covenant with God, and he doesn't, this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like that lion and that bear. Moreover, David said, the Lord... See, David understands how he killed that lion and how he killed that bear. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And I'm staying here. So we see here an insight into David's thinking. David has been thankful through his whole life. He's recognized that the victories that he's had, he's recognized the threats that he's overcome, he overcame because he overcame them by his confidence in God. Every one of your experiences is preparation for the big battle. It's so why you need to look back over and be thankful on a regular basis. God, thank you. You delivered me out of this. Thank you. You provided for me in this situation. Thank you that when I couldn't have a job and I went and cried out to you, you opened this up. Thank you that you did this. Thank you that you did that. Thank, Because you're renewing your mind in what God has done for you. So when that giant rears his ugly head, you can say, and who are you? You're just all like the rest of all these giants that have tried to destroy me. And my God came through before and he's, no, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will come through again. Oh, this gets better. You think this is good. Oh, you wait. Oh, Lord, we've got to get this in today. All right. This is good. Verse 38. So Saul says, all right, I'm going to take care of you. So Saul clothed David with his, Saul's armor and put a bronze helmet on his head and also clothed him with his... So Saul's still thinking in the natural. All right, well, then, if you're going to do this, I'll give you my armor, my helmet my armor, my shield, and Saul's seven feet tall. You can just see this helmet coming down over his eyes. You know, the, the coat's dragging on the ground, and David's trying to walk around like this. And basically, David says, calls it untested. He says, I, I don't have experience with this. So he takes it off. I'm sure the eyes of the other soldiers were shocked because their confidence is in their, their armor is their protection. Oh, this gets good. This gets really good. And David tried to walk around in it, for he would not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk in these things. I've not tested them. And David took them off. And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. And the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield that's very important, went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. That word actually means he belittled him because now he's looking at this scrawny kid. And look at what he says to him. He's now going to talk to David and interpret the circumstances to David to intimidate David. Verse 3043. So the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come here with to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He must have had a booming voice. That must have sounded very threatening. But notice where David's mindset is. David answers the threat you learn to listen to the thoughts in your mind. You'll find voices talk to you. I'm not talking about weird things, but I'll pick up voices saying, I may be standing there saying, you have no right to go up there. Who do you think you are? You're going to pray about this situation? You didn't pray yesterday. How can you pray today? Those are thoughts not coming out of nowhere. They're intended to intimidate you. Just like these words from... Goliath were intending to intimidate David. But notice what David does. David answers those words. Unlike the army of Israel, David answers those words and his answer is based on God's word that he gave to to Abraham in Genesis 17. David said to the Philistine, Look at this. Oh, I love this. He says, all you come at me with is a sword and a spear and a javelin. Is that all you got? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God, look at this, of the armies of Israel, the God who belongs to the armies who belong to Israel, whom you defied. In other words, man, you're in trouble. You you thought you were defying Israel? You defied a people who belong to the Lord of hosts and all you got is a spear and a javelin and a sword? That's what you're coming against him with? (laughs) You're in trouble. When you stand against that giant in your life, how do you see yourself? Is it you standing against Him? Is it you and the doctors that are consulting you, which is wonderful? Is it you and medicine standing against? Is it you and, 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 uh, and employment? Is it you and the government? Is it you and whatever you're relying on standing against that enemy? Or is it you and the Lord of hosts who not only are you in covenant with, He's your Father? Oh, this gets so good. Verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all of Israel may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or with spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into my hands. Now I'm gonna ask for some help here. Brendan, would you come up here a second? Ron, would you come up here a second? Brendan, stand right over about here. Gotta do this quickly. And face that way. Come here. Right here. Face this way. You're Goliath. No, no. You're the armor bearer. So you turn around, you're here. I've done this before. Okay. Oh yeah, you have. That's right. Turn around here. Joe? Come here. Joseph? You're over here. All right. Wait, 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 wait. All right, stand over there. Right, I want to read this to you. Now, here's what happens. Now, remember this. He's got a helmet of bronze on him. What's this guy? He's the, he's the shield bearer. So what's he holding up? A shield. What's the purpose of a shield? To protect him. And this is David over here. I'm going to hold it up and protect you too. Yeah, all right. Well, he's not after you. David put his hand in his bag and took a stone, and he slung it, and it struck. Go ahead. He's going to swing it. All right. All right. Now, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the so that the stone. Listen carefully. This is really important. So that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Now, what's he wearing? A helmet of bronze. And you know where those helmets were made? The thickest part of the bronze was over the forehead and down over the nose because that's the most vulnerable part of the head. What's this guy carrying? Shield. Who's the shortest guy? No, personally. Who's the shortest guy in this scene? It's David. In fact, get down on your knees. So listen, it dawned on me one day when meditating on this. David says he took a a stone and he slung it at the giant's head. And that stone, when it landed, buried in his forehead. To bury in his forehead, it has to go through an inch or so of bronze metal. In order to get to his forehead, it's got to go over the shield. So here's what I believe happened. Because what has David said? I'm not coming to you in my strength. It's the Lord God who's fighting to you. I believe what David did is he flung the stone in the air. I believe that the Lord of the hosts grabbed that stone and he came down and threw it into the giant's head. Thank you, gentlemen. And we'll heal you later. God takes His Word literally. God means what He says, but you've got to take Him at His Word before He can do what He says. God would have done that for Saul, for David's brothers, for anybody else among the host of the, of the soldiers of Israel. But it took a little boy who believed in the covenant and believed in the word that God said and in the threat in the face of a giant. He wasn't moved by what the giant looked like or what the giant had because his eyes and his confidence were in God he was in relationship with. And He saved all of Israel. Now, turn with me quickly to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll bring this down to us and then we'll close. David, David said... In ver, you turn there. David said in 1 Samuel seventeen forty seven. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and He will give the giant into our hands. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, now he's talking to us, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God His armor that you may be able to stand against the tricks or the wiles or the deceits of the devil for we do not wrestle against Goliath or flesh and blood but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Therefore, having... We're going to talk, talk, talk about the parts. There's two of them. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith. What does faith do? That you may be able withstand all the fiery darts of the evil one. That giant comes against you and says, You're not going to make it this time. Pew! You ever see these movies where they they, they shoot the fire the, the dart the, the, the arrows that are on fire? Because the, the, the purpose is not to, to for the arrow to kill you, the purpose is for the flaming arrow to get over your wall and to get your roof on fire. Right. So the purpose of these arrows is to get into your heart and get you to doubt. He shot one at Eve. Phew and she let it in. He shot one at Jesus. It didn't get in. His shield was up, because what did Jesus say? I don't care what it looks like. It is written. The shield of faith allows the enemy's dart to hit that, and when it hits the shield, because the shield is God's Word, it extinguishes the power of the dart. And puts it out. So it cannot harm you. The shield of faith that we may extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. God has equipped you to fight that giant in your life. He doesn't want you to fight the giant in your strength. He doesn't want you to fight the giant by relying... You can use other things, that's fine. Doctors are fine, all that. But your trust has got to be in the God who is your Father, the God in whom you were in covenant with. And the weapon is His Word because standing behind that Word is all the power and authority of God Himself which is why the devil works so hard to get you to doubt that word. Here's a little boy because he believed God's word about the situation, it affected it affected how he saw the giant, how he saw the threat, and how he saw himself. And therefore he reacted very differently than his brothers, the king, and all the trained soldiers. And through this one boy, one boy that believed what God had said and acted on it in spite of all the things he saw, he defeated the giant that threatened Israel and they had an incredible victory that day and won back the land that God had already promised them way back before. What's your giant? What's raising his head at you today? What's threatening you, trying to take from you or intimidate you so that you won't walk into the land that God has given to you? The blessing, the provision that God has given to you. What's telling you you're not going to make it? You're too old? You're not educated enough? You've committed too many sins? You've failed God too many times? All of those are threats out of a giant's mouth. To tell you who you are and what God is like. How do I fight that? I go in to the manual. I go into his word. And I meditate on his word and I find scriptures in his word that promise me, tell me who I am, promise me what God will do in that situation. And then I take that word and I begin to speak that word over those situations and speak that word over those situations. And speak. Notice they all got what they said. Except Goliath didn't. They were getting what they said. David changed what they were getting by the words of his mouth because his words agreed with God's Word.